Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is June the 21st, 2017, and this is episode 2028 of the Survival Podcast. I had to make sure I got that one right for you today. I'll tell you what else today is. It's, it's something for you guys that are gardeners or doing anything with solar. You might want to pay attention to. Today is, as I said, June 21st, 2017. What does that mean? It is the summer solstice. Merry solstice, yes. Uh, Merry summer solstice. And what that means is the longest day of the year. And these tracks of shadows will be the point of the sun at its height of the sky and its greatest exposure on your property. That is good information to have. Uh, in designing anything that looks at something we call solar aspect. So I just thought I would throw that out for you today. Uh, and it, remember, you can always figure out exactly what that track of sun looks like, though, because there's a thing called Sunseeker. It's an app on your smartphone. You can always use that. But actually, being able to draw a shadow map right now, really good day to be able to do that and take different little kind of snapshots as the day goes on. Anyway, if you're listening to this late in the day and thinking, damn, I missed it, Tomorrow's the 22nd. It'll be a little bit different. It'll be close enough for government work, as they say, so you really haven't missed the opportunity. Anyway, so what are we going to talk about today? I'm kind of jazzed up. I have Amanda B. Johnson uh, that will be coming on the line with us in just a little bit here. Amanda is the uh, a freelancer working for the Dash blockchain. She's actually the world's first freelancer to be paid directly by blockchain, in this case the Dash blockchain. Dash is an up-and-coming competitor to Bitcoin, which has been div, div, uh, delivering uh, practical solutions for painful cryptocurrency problems since it launched in January 2014. Of course, I've talked a lot about Dash, and I'm excited to have Amanda on today. She's the head writer and anchor for Dash's YouTube presence, a series called Dash Detailed. She has also written cryptocurrency analysis pieces for Bitcoin Magazine, Cointelegraph, and Finance Mengates. Uh, I think that it's going to be great to have her on. Um, I did research her before we uh, had her on. I have gone through her um, Dash school, it's called, on the Dash uh, YouTube channel. It is fantastic. And the first three episodes, if you're struggling with cryptocurrency, get on there and watch them. doesn't even talk about Dash until episode four of six. It talks about blockchain and how all this stuff works. You know, I was saying earlier uh, this week that one somebody asked a question on the blog about you know who gets to decide who the miners are and all and it made me think of the Geico commercial the two old ladies right and they one old lady has all these pictures on her wall of her friends like physical pictures on her bedroom wall and the lady says I've got all all my friends on my wall and <laughs> the other old lady says that's not how this works that's That's not how any of this works. And the other old lady grabs her friend's picture off the wall and goes, I'm unfriending you. Like, I think a lot of people feel that way about uh, cryptocurrency right now. Amanda has done the best three-part tutorial on what blockchain is, how it works, and what it does I have ever seen. Uh, we will have a fantastic interview with her today. We'll be talking about Dash, but we'll also be talking about crypto in general. I think of all the things that I've done on crypto, this show might become the most informative one thus far. Before we get into that, though, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. 
You know, guys, I've been telling you about how Safe Castle Royal has everything for your prepping needs for over seven years now. Everything's a big word, but in this case, it's true. Of course, they have long-term storage food, water purification equipment, shelters, solar and wind components, and more. But hey, did you know they even have an amazing fold-down, bug-out bicycle? Yeah, they actually have two of those. For everything you could ever need as a prepper, and I do mean everything, check out safecastle.com today. Bob Wells Nursery has become my go-to for fruit trees, nut trees, and hard-to-find edibles. Their customer service is second to none, and they even provide a 10% discount for all MSB members. Check them out at bobwellsnursery.com today. And before I bring Amanda on, let's take a quick look at the year that was. We are up to the year 11 in our segment on history on the TSP Wiki, located at tspwiki.com, the survival, self-sufficiency, and historical, economic, you name it, Wiki. It is an encyclopedia on all you need to know to stay alive and thrive in the modern age, and we do that a lot of times by looking back into history. I have one segment today from Southpaw Ben. What happened in the year 11? The Divination Edict. An edict applying across the Roman Empire requires that a third party must be present at any consultation involving a divination And that one cannot inquire about anyone's death. Okay, so not that one, but that one. So you have, if you're going to do a divination for a consultation, you have to have a third party there. And one thing you cannot do in a divination is ask about somebody who's going to die or when they died or what have you. Okay, all right. So my take by Southpaw Ben. Divination in the ancient world was often used for making decisions and was most commonly heard about when decisions were being made about whether or not to go to war. Often when the answer of the inquirer was after the inquirer was after was not given, they would treat it as the ask again later magic eight ball answer and ask until they got the go ahead. Also the answers given could be vague, often allowing for all of the most likely outcomes, such as when a certain emperor asked If going to war with another kingdom would end in his success, the answer was something along the lines of, if you attack, a great empire will fall. So he took it as a good omen and attacked, only to have his own empire fall. Also, for the times that a very definitive and clear answer was given, some historians have found proof that the example was added by historians hundreds of years later and is never mentioned by primary sources. Oh, those who win the war write the history? Is that what that means? I think so. Anyway, I think my take on the modern world with this thing is you would think that like human beings have gotten past divination. But it's interesting we're talking about cryptocurrency today because it is a speculative market. And I think everybody's looking for someone to say what they want to hear so they know what to buy and when to buy it. And the reality is all we can do is look at the analysis and the fundamentals and the reality of what's behind cryptocurrency – or stock prices, or what the next elected official is going to do, and make our best guess. But we're still looking for some oracle to tell us, just tell me what to do, just tell me what to do. That's why when we have our call-in shows, you call the think line, because I don't want to tell you what to do. I want to help you learn how to think, so that you can think for yourself, use the information that we provide for you, information you gather elsewhere, and make your own decisions, rather than your own divinations. Because I believe in a spiritual element to the world and the universe, and I believe in intuition, and I believe in certain things like that, but I think in the end, those are things that are very easy to fool yourself with. I think they work best at a basal level when you're not thinking about it that way, when you're just responding. But when you're trying to make yourself feel like something, you can give yourself visions of success, even though you really know logically that what you're doing 
is a path of destruction. My Thought by Jack Spierko. All right, folks, I want to remind you about the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade today. That's a great way that you can support the show and get a return of investment. We offer discounts to over 60 vendors. There's a lot of video content that you can't get anywhere else. We do video all of our workshops from this point going forward. There's hours of video on our workshops in there for MSB members only, and yes, you can download them. Every episode of the Survival Podcast ever produced in convenient zip files, so you can start with episode one and binge out all the way up to episode 2000 and beyond very, very soon. That's all available, and it's all available for a cost that comes down to 18.3 episodes per day, $50 a year. And you can try the membership out for as little as $5 a month. If you have not yet become a member, please consider supporting the show as a Support Brigade member today. And with that, I'm excited to in- introduce our special guest today. Again, her name is Amanda B. Johnson. She is a freelancer that works directly for the Dash blockchain. Uh, she's done a lot of really cool stuff. She's got an incredible presence on YouTube. Some of the best information that I've found on cryptocurrency and Dash as well. And with that, I want to say, hey, Amanda, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks, Jack. Happy to be here. Hey, I am I am stoked to have you on. We're going to learn all about Dash today. Um, I've already told the audience in the introduction that they totally need to go to your YouTube channel and check out your Dash school and how like the first three friggin' episodes are fantastic. They're like one of the best explanations of crypto in general that I have ever seen. Uh, well, so thank hopefully you. I'll do that. But let's let's back up from crypto, right? Because like I'm sure like when you were in high school or college or whatever, you weren't taking courses on cryptocurrency so you could come out and, and work in the Dash world. Um, so <laughs> can you kind of tell the audience like think about your daydreaming and study hall in high school or something and what, what, have, what have you done in your professional life and how does it lead here? Yeah. Well, after, okay, so I grew up in small towns, uh, in rural areas, and so I had the big city bug. I wanted to go be a big city girl, and so the first thing that I did when I graduated high school was try to figure out how on earth I could go afford to live in a big city with just about zero capital to my name. And so I took a nannying job and lived in New York City for a little while, And then after that ended, which was not that long, um, yeah, I went, I decided that it was time to take my love of performance and just make myself a famous Hollywood actress. And so I picked up and moved to the other side of the country to Los Angeles. Uh, where I went to theater school for a bit and slummed around in LA for just about four years. And I was just finishing theater school and finally landed or managed to land myself a commercial agent, uh, a commercial talent agent when I saw my first Ron Paul video. And I had never seen this guy. I had maybe heard his name once, didn't know what it was in connection to. And when I saw this guy's video, it just kind of lit this fire under me. And I thought, this man is just saying the most sensible things. This was, I guess, 2000, early 2011. I thought, this man is saying the most sensible things. I wonder if I ought not go and try to, I I ought not try to uh, make something of myself in this world so that I can do something like this man is doing. And so I decided I should actually take my completed uh, theater program and then go on to law school with it instead. Hmm. And um, 
push came to shove, it came to this, came to that. I started making YouTube videos about Ron Paul's platforms having to do with, you know, sound money or or the unintended consequences of prohibition on and on. And um that pretty much led me to where I am today, which is this fortunate combination I've been able to work out for myself that combines my love of performing with my love of money and and what it what what it means for people yeah that's awesome that's awesome i i like people think well the love of money is the root of all evil yeah not really the 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 stupidity involved with money sometimes i think can lead to evil but i i i'm pretty fond of money too because it buys all the stuff that i have in my life and uh i think we have a lot of problems in the world with money from the standpoint of how it is controlled right now, but that's what crypto seeks to address, a decentralized platform where people have the ability to have an alternative, but it also, like, not an alternative. Like, when Bitcoin came out, like, it was it was Bitcoin, and it was Bitcoin. And then one day it was Bitcoin, and it was Litecoin, and people were like, well, why would I care about Litecoin? And at the time, I think it was a reasonable question. But now this whole vision has blown up into... You know, a tremendous number of options, which I think a free market leads to the best solutions. And one of those potential solutions now is Dash, who you're, of course, affiliated with. Um, so let's start out with what is Dash, other than, oh, it's a cryptocurrency. I think we're probably on board with that. But what is Dash itself? Sure. So Dash is what a cryptocurrency looks like when you have two of the most important features of cash built into it. The reasons that we all love cash so much are primarily two. The first is that when you pay somebody cash, the payment is instant. They're, they're not worrying about, oh, is this payment going to clear? When is it going to credit to my account? It's an instant payment, and people like that. The second reason is, of course, the privacy. If you are engaging in purchases which you don't necessarily want complete and utter strangers to know about, if you would rather keep that to yourself, cash is a great way to do that as well. And so Dash is currently the only cryptocurrency which offers both optional privacy of your transactions as well as the option for an instant confirmation so that the person you sent that payment to can have absolute certainty in under one second that there is no way you can double spend them. That's really cool. I think the anonymous features, like something that I think really is attractive to people because that is the reason that people... I think in, in today's day and age, prefer cash. For instance, I, I'm buying a, a used boat today for almost $6,000. The guy wants cash. Um, and I totally understand him wanting cash. I'm not exactly thrilled with traveling, you know, to meet this gentleman. And it's a public place where everything will be fine. But, you know, you, you just traveling around with that much cash in your hand, it's kind of a, a negative for the buyer. And it's a, it's, it's a positive for the seller until they get the money. But if you can do that electronically, then you, you alleviate that. Because you can understand why I wouldn't necessarily want to be tooling down the road with about $6,000 in my truck. Uh, yeah. Civil they asset forfeiture, cash- getting mm-hmm. yep. truck jacked. I mean, there's lots of reasons. They call it cash handling costs for a reason. It's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember my dad ran a very cash-intensive business when I was a kid. It was a, a gas station and tire shop. And I, used to, I finally realized, like, 
I was always into guns and all, but like why he absolutely carried a gun in his vehicle every Thursday when he went to the bank, like because you've got that much cash on you. It's it's a it's a concern. Um, so on top of that, why should because I think people are getting to the point now where, and I think there's some validity to this. I don't think Dash fits in this model, but I'm getting to the point where like. I don't care about your new altcoin, dude. I don't care about your next ICO. Like, there's like, it's literally become a way to raise money, right? That's all. It's some of these. There's some legitimate projects out there. I think you know, Swarm City is a legitimate project. I think uh, what, what Brave is doing with the basic attention token. I think that has at least the potential to be a legitimate kind of ecosystem. What sets Dash apart? Where it's not just another altcoin. Yeah, that's a great question. What sets Dash apart is that. In addition to the cash properties that I mentioned to you, we also just so happen to be the first and longest running and by far the most successful DAO. And now if you've never heard the term DAO, that's D-A-O, it stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. It's a fancy schmancy term which more or less means it's a blockchain-based organization in which the allocation of funds is determined by the vote of stakeholders. And that's a vote that is proportional to how much stake each stakeholder has. And now why is this important? Well, there are expenses to running a blockchain network. First, there are developers who are only willing to work for free for so long before they go looking for a paycheck. Secondly, there's code auditors Who is going to audit the code for bugs to make sure there isn't another hack that would, that a la, you know, the DAO disaster that happened last year in Ethereum? Thirdly, there's marketing. Who on earth is going to run the ads that will let people outside of the tiny crypto sphere know what you have to offer? And on and on and on. Because in my view, a blockchain network is just another kind of business. And so it has the expenses that any kind of business has. In fact, I've called, I've called the business model of a blockchain, I've called it money as a service. It's a money as a service business. And so naturally it requires employees beyond just miners. Now this is where Dash is unique. When we create new coins in our block reward every two and a half minutes, as many other coins also do, they create new coins in their block reward. We allocate 10% of that to be voted upon by our stakeholders. And that is how we are able to hire and, if necessary, fire anybody who works for us. That's very cool. And it, it, it kind of like, so here's how I feel about that. Like one of my concerns with Bitcoin was also one of my things that I was always kind of like grateful for. So let's say that you're the government and you want to go after Bitcoin. Go ahead. Who do you go after? There's no building with a great big B on top of it, right? There's no group of people to go after. If you go after any individual developer, there's people in China, there's people in, you know, in the United States, there's people in Canada. So the problem with that, though, is, and I think we can see this with like the complete uncertainty about what's coming exactly on August 1st, is when there's a major problem. And one, that, like, okay, the, the Bitcoin scaling problem is not something like, oh, gee, we just figured this out, right? This is a very old problem that everybody knew was coming there's no real like command point that just says okay 
We've heard from everybody. We've reached a consensus. This is what we're going to do. And that's supposedly how it works. But with Bitcoin, it's really like, well, are we really going to do that? Because if there's some sort of, you know, revolt uh, among miners or developers or whatever, you could have, you know, forced without consensus, soft or hard forks. So you guys, to me, I guess that risk isn't really as much there because there's a framework and specific stakeholders that have agreed upon terms that when we reach this decision, you know, this consensus, this percentage, this is what we're doing. So that's that's yeah. very comforting. Yet, how, how does that not make you more vulnerable to, let's say, if the Federal Reserve says Dash is a problem, we want them to go away? Well, I don't think so because our the people who get a, a governance vote in our network, they're called master nodes. They run a full node in addition to uh, making sure that their node facilitates our privacy and instant features 24-7. And they, they're spread all over the world just like our miners are. And there's roughly 4,500 of these master nodes spread uh, all over the world. And so if, if, if you want to talk about what's the risk level of taking out Dash's masternode network, well, it's pretty much the same risk level as someone taking out, like you mentioned, uh, Bitcoin's node network. In fact, I think Bitcoin only has maybe a couple thousand more nodes than we do with orders of magnitude more than our market cap. So if and when we reach Bitcoin's market cap, Uh, you can imagine where our node count will go then. Very, very cool. Um, this brings me to another thing. So I, I actually answered this question from my perspective this week because I was asked by a listener who feels that cryptocurrency might be in some real danger, the whole, the whole market, because it's not being used as money on any major scale. Pretty much the biggest trading in, in, in crypto right now is spending one form of crypto to buy another. It's, it's almost like a gambling game, especially with the ICOs, which we'll stay out of for today. Um, but, you know, he was like, what is it going to take to get it to flow? Because, like, do I really want to let go of my Bitcoin when it's, it's up, you know, 300% over the past year and a half or whatever? And the answer is I kind of don't. Um, and I had a use perspective on that. But I also think it's, it's, a, it's more of a technical issue, like spending it is complicated. You know, it, it, it's not easy. So... Why do you think that we have not seen more mass adoption of crypto as a whole? That is a great question, and I think that's the multi-trillion dollar question, Jack. And I'll tell you where – so so I'm not a developer, and I'm not a designer. Uh, so what I do is look for others who are and look at the ideas that they're churning out and then choose, okay, that one seems most likely to succeed to me based on my personal metrics. Sure. That's why I chose Dash's developers and designers, and allow me to share with you what they think is the barrier to mass adoption in terms of at what point do we go from just a small handful of people flipping from one crypto to another like it's a casino to – Someone is actually using this stuff to buy a cup of coffee, like it's money. And they happen to believe, in fact, uh, Dash's founder, his name is Evan Duffield, about two years ago, two and a half years ago, he made the very wise decision to sit down at his computer with his mother. And he asked his mother to use the Dash 
core wallet and tell him what she thought. And you can imagine her reaction. It's the reaction of, I think, you know, most people, especially uh, most people of, of an older generation, to seeing these horrible cryptographic addresses, to seeing these yucky interfaces, to being told, hey, you need to back up your wallet so you don't lose your funds. And they're like, what does that even mean? In fact, Jack, I remember the first time someone helped me open a cryptocurrency wallet. And when they told me to be sure to back it up, I had no idea what that meant. It made me feel small. It made me feel afraid. It made me feel silly. It makes and you so, feel afraid because you're thinking, if I do it wrong, I can lose all my money. Yes, and that is true. <laughs> It's a legitimate fear. And so Evan concluded from this experience with his mother that money, by its very nature, is something that everybody can use. Everybody's mother uses money. And so if something aspires to be money, it must be usable by one's mother. And most of our mothers like and feel comfortable with PayPal. And so he set out a large batch of specifications for a, a serious tweaking of how Dash works. And he called it evolution. And it is being developed right now in a private repository And we're told by Dash's core developers that the alpha version of it should be released before the end of this year, 2017. And what it should do out of the box is, first and foremost, eliminate the cryptographic address. Not that the blockchain isn't using cryptographic addresses. Of course it is. That's how these things work. But it will eliminate it on the forward-facing user end so that our blockchain actually processes your payments via a username that you choose. So Jack's, Jack's Dash Wallet could be called Jack's Dash Wallet. And I could send Dash to the username Jack's Dash Wallet, and it would land in a different address every time to preserve your privacy And that alone, I think, could, could take cryptocurrency leaps and bounds more into the market. And that's just one of the, the first features that Evolution will present. No, that's, that's fantastic because most people today have a PayPal account because so many people take it and because it's easy to set up and because it works and because it makes sense. Send money to whom? Jack at the survivalpodcast.com send. Of course, that transaction's in U.S. dollars and everybody and their mother and the government can see it. Right? We're, we're right. talking about something that works that way, but we, we push fiat completely out of the equation. So not your money, not your business. That's how I kind of feel about crypto with the government. When you use something like a, a, a product like Coinbase, not so much because fiat is involved in there. But once you move crypto into a world that does not touch fiat, not your money, not your business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, honestly, that's, it, it, you know, in a reality is even though they would like it to not be the case, it really is, because how do you know? And with the way you guys have set things up, it can be that airtight. Like, you can see numbers, but there's no connections to anything. You don't have any idea where it went. Now, I do have a question on this new product. So if you're sending it to me, what prevents somebody from knowing you sent it to at least my username? Sure. So all that's recorded on the blockchain is the address sent to the address okay. uh, and, 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 and not your username. And so 
in order to so the way that Dash's blockchain offers privacy is actually extremely simple. It's not fancy. It does not involve obscuring away details of the blockchain like some of our privacy-oriented competitors do. Reason being, we feel that when you begin obscuring away information on a ledger, you begin to lose confidence that that ledger is actually trustworthy. You begin to lose confidence that the the total coin supply that people say is on the ledger is actually what the total coin supply is and that there isn't secret inflation taking place. Okay. And so the way we're able to offer privacy is basically by creating large possibility sets of where any given payment came from. So if my address were to send to your address in a private manner, what I would actually do, Jack, is this. I would tell my wallet to private send mix my funds before I sent them to you. What would then happen is that, let's say I wanted to send you one dash. Okay. What my wallet would then do is it would break that one dash down into a series of .1 dash denominations as well as .01 dash denominations. And then it would reach out to the network and find anyone else on the network who has those same denominations, 0.1 and 0.01, that they also want to mix. And what it would then do is, using our masternode network, without us ever having to revoke our private keys, our denominations land in new addresses that we still own, but when you look on the blockchain, you can't tell which denomination ended up in which address. And this happens in sets of three. So after one round of mixing, you have three possible points of origin for a payment. After two rounds of mixing, you have nine possible <laughs> points of origin for a payment, and on and on, up to three to the eighth power. And that's how we're able to offer no real way to trace where a payment came from while also keeping our ledger perfectly auditable. So we could see all of the money that's in all the, all of the Dash coin that exists and get a proper accounting of the total market cap. But you can't make heads or tails of where it was and where it went. No, exactly. And it's, it's, it's actually like, a, like such a clever trick because the right answer is there in front of you. But it's one of 6,500. There is no way to know which one of 6,500 answers is the right answer. It's like the paradox of the arrow. You can know where it is or where it's going, but you can't know both at the same time. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, so let's say this all works out. What, what do you think the world looks like? if Dash or, frankly, one of your competitors reaches a true mass adoption. And I think we also have to be careful about what we mean by mass adoption. Like, Because I was listening to a podcast recently, and people were talking about you know how many people actually know what Bitcoin is. And one guy said, you know, Reddit is the most uh, fourth most popular website in the United States. But go out and ask 100 people what Reddit is, and a bunch of people don't know, especially if you start asking across a generation. So I think mass adoption doesn't have to be 89% of the population. It's just a major significant portion of the population. What, what do you think it looks like when you know the average website has a button, pay with Dash, and it's that simple, it's that easy? Yeah. Well, it seems to me that we as people tend to organize ourselves around money. I don't think it's at all coincidental that the 
every nation state pretty much has its own currency. I think that to an extent, uh, those whom you choose to identify with and those who use the money that you yourself also use are the same people. And so what may happen if that is true is that with time, people's identities, their, their national or group identities will shift from being something that is geographically based to something that is cyber based. And, and that, you know, opens a whole can of worms to, you know, do we all keep using the same internet or do people try to put borders on the internet the way that nation states or some of them anyway, try to put borders around themselves and, you know, how that will play out. I don't know, but I do see this as a very critical time in which what happens next is being determined. There's a currency competition going on and, and people currently get to pick what may come to stick in 10 or 20 or 50 years because money is a sticky property. It's not something that's changed overnight. And so whatever people pick, it may be around for a while until, you know, the next thing that's just as disruptive as cryptocurrency was this time round is invented. Yeah, definitely, because right now what everybody's doing, they're building on the concept. So they're innovating, and they're coming up with new features like you guys have done. Some people are going with an, an ecosystem approach. I think that's what Swarm City is doing. Like The SWAT token is really designed to be used in the Swarm City ecosystem. It's almost like a virtual nation light is what their vision is. But the way you're talking there, you can almost see, because I'm sure you've heard of BitNation and all, and I don't know what they actually do. I think it's a great idea. I actually started talking about virtual nations like five years ago with cryptocurrency as, as, a, as a way to get there. But if you got a truly mass-adopted cryptocurrency, in of itself it almost becomes a level of a virtual nation. Because as I was saying before, not your money, not your business. Um, if you have people doing business wholly in Dash, for instance, I buy my supplies with Dash, I pay my people in Dash, I accept payment only in Dash, my customers only spend Dash with me, no, you can't see it because it's private, that almost in of itself on a level becomes a virtual nation. There's a reason they put, you know, dead presidents or current leaders on money throughout the world. It's, it, it is, a, it, like you said, a, a definer of what we think of as a nationality. Mm -hmm. um, so you guys seem to make a great case. I love a lot of what you're doing. But if you guys are going in such a promising direction, why aren't other people emulating it, copying it, following your path? Well, that actually has begun. Okay. Uh, to date, I think that four projects have copied our code base, and so they're currently forks of Dash, the way that Dash uh, is a fork of Bitcoin, and they are actually quite avidly uh, nipping at our heels. And so I made a public post actually only yesterday that I believe that in order to keep our competitive advantage that came with being the first to develop the system that I've told you about, I think that we need to up our marketing game in a very serious way because, da because Dash does not have uh, the sort of VC, the venture capitalists flocking to us and it doesn't 
have like the businesses yet building a, a, an entire business up around Dash the way some of our competitors do. And our competitors are able to profit from that because those VC firms and those businesses do their marketing for them. But because we're not interested in asking for venture capital, we're not. We are zero venture capital. We are zero ICOs. We are 100% homegrown, three-and-a-half-year-old project. Uh, we need to do our marketing ourselves. And so uh, our monthly budget, Jack, I'm not sure if you'll believe this, but that 10% of our block reward that I told you is available to be allocated to whomever we need to hire yes. is currently worth $1.2 million a month. Okay. And I am of the opinion, and many others are also, that a good portion of that ought to be deployed in, in stepping up our marketing game to match the marketing efforts that our competitors are, are putting out there. And then we may see even more forks of Dash, and, and we'll see if we can keep our first mover advantage or not. Well, I'll tell you, first of all, the first number that popped into my head is at least 10% of revenue should go to marketing. Um, that's, that's a pretty standard thing for companies that are actually well-established Right, startups often are spending more than their revenue on marketing through some sort of investor finance or something because it's it's so critical. But I guess maybe some ammunition for your point is that when I look at what's going on in the ICO world, mostly you know stuff built on Ethereum, I'm watching these companies going, well, we're going to make uh, 16 million tokens, and we're going to write this white paper, and we're going to put up this website that says all these wonderful things we're going to do in the world. But they market the shit out of it. Yes. And then they run a, an ICO and they raise, you know, $40 million in six minutes or something like that. And then you yeah. look at it and you go, what in the hell? Because, first of all, you've, you've, you've created a promise of a company. Okay, great, fine. But even if you fulfill that promise, I would say in over half of the ones I've looked at, I can't see what the utility of the token is inside the business. Right. Well, we're going to do you know, Ripple. We're going to do this for the world of global finance. Great. You're going to build a blockchain that the J.P. Morgan chases the blue roll can use. Fine. Why the hell would they use your Ripple token? By the way, you printed like 500 quadrillion of them. Right. So like, what? And it's not. It's almost like they're selling it like it's an IPO stock. But what do I get if that token doesn't have utility? I don't have dividends. I don't have voting rights. I, you know, I don't have anything I would have if I had stock in, let's say, Apple computers or General Electric. So what I think Dash has that you guys need to be screaming to the whole world that will listen about is you have actually an app and a utility to, to, the, to the currency. And a utility to the currency beyond, it's, just a, it's not just a clone like Litecoin. You actually have an ecosystem that you're building. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Is, is that what you're trying to say? Yes, And, and I appreciate uh, hearing that echoed from you because we actually have a vote up about this very thing right now. Now, I had told you before that we vote on how to allocate that 10% of our block reward, but we can also vote on matters of governance, simple yes-no votes. Should this thing be done or should it not be done? And so whereas this should we market or should we not, which is literally a vote you can go see taking place in real time right now at a website like dashvotetracker.com. If we didn't have governance, this could end up being 
our version of Bitcoin's block size debate. Sure. Where two opposing sides grow further and further apart, and without a formal governance mechanism, it just turns into a shit show and nothing gets done. But our voting deadline is in something like 40 days. We will have our answer within 40 days, and there will be no ongoing debate. And however the vote turns out, we will move forward based on its outcome. No, see, that's, that's what you, that's what you want to hear, that someone can't just go rogue because they don't agree. Like, once a decision has been made, a decision has been made. We used to run real nations that way, right? Like, even if I disagree with you, once we've made a decision, now we're all in this together. Um, so that's comforting. I'll, I will tell you this. You guys have some guy running around the country installing Dash ATMs as part, in conjunction with some podcast. They've got you talking. I own Dash because of those two things more than anything else. I love what it does, but there are other people that do, you know, from a technical standpoint, what Dash does. Because once somebody innovates something in crypto, anybody else can do that same thing with the right developers tomorrow and then do something more. But if you're going to be successful in this world, you've got to get adaptation by the average person. And I think it's people that are willing to go out there and make themselves available that are going to gain that adaptation. Otherwise, you know, what I see now is it's the exact opposite of how I started this show. So when I started this show, survivalism was an up-and-coming topic, and everybody wanted to get into some kind of preparedness and whatever. And there were 500 million, you know, websites and blogs and everything out there doing this. I think I started the first podcast on it, but the first thing I decided was I will not be going to other people's forums and blogs and trying to snipe their market share. I will build a market within this. And what I see most cryptos doing today is they are trying to take a piece of the market rather than build the market. And, and, and the market looks huge, and I'm, I'm sure that you and I would both love it if somebody would just send us, we'll split it, okay? You and I, Amanda, we'll take 1% of the entire crypto market, right? We, we would love that, right? But it's, it's really tiny in the world. The big market is the market yet to be reached. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yes, and I did not think that Dash had a mass market-ready product until last month. I'm at a family event up in Idaho, and my uncle who lives in the suburbs and is the father of five children, tells me, actually announces to me in front of the rest of the family that he thinks that cryptocurrency is the future of money and he would like to get started with Dash. Awesome. Am, I, am I going to tell him, oh, I'm sorry, we don't, actually, we don't have evolution ready for you yet. Uh, why don't you go ahead and just go to one of our competitors because they're waiting for you with open arms. But no, we at Dash, we're, we're, we're not ready to market to you yet. And that was when I realized just because we, you know, on the techie side of things, think that the, the market, the mass market is not ready for our product yet does not mean that they aren't. There are enough, I now realize there are enough reasons to get out of fiat. There are enough reasons to get out of the banking system that someone often does not need to be a nerd. They don't need evolution to have come out yet to be the PayPal of cryptocurrency. They don't need any of those things. They're ready now. And, and you know, that's kind of scary. Um, but it's scary in a good way. And, and I think we really need to capitalize on that. Because it's not that hard. I mean, I, I do most of my kind of alt currency stuff either with an off-chain, off you know, cold wallet 
or like the small amounts that I keep to actually do stuff with on a Jack's wallet. And you, if you show somebody how to buy Bitcoin, how to set up a Jack's wallet, and how to use Shapeshift, they can have all the Dash they want. It, it's not like it's not like it actually is complicated. I think that the hurdle right now, and this is why I want to get back to talking to, about this kind of grandma friendly version. Is when I read that in your notes, Grandma Friendly version. I thought of this uh, this lady, and I'm a grandfather now. This lady who was my father-in-law's girlfriend after his wife passed away, and so we're talking, you know, somebody that grew up prior to the Great Depression type thing. Um, my son told her he could change the ringtone on her cell phone, and she said, "Oh, you better not." Like like something horrible would happen, right? <laughs> right? So there's this, this yeah. fear and this apprehension. And I, I think that like what you have to do right now isn't that hard, but as we get older, we get more and more entrenched in our way of doing things. So what I just said sounds complicated. Well, you set up a Coinbase account, let's say, and then you you know you, you verify your identity and now you can buy Bitcoin with cash or you can buy Bitcoin with Uh, your credit card or what have you, and then you can send it to this Jack's wallet. Now, that sounds freaky. It's going to be on your smartphone while they have Jitterbug, <laughs> right? And, and, then, and, then it's, and then you use Shapeshift, right? But if you actually walk somebody through those steps, there, there isn't a person who can use a cell phone that can't do all of that. You know, I think you're right, Jack. And what's more, think of how much of a disservice the current monetary system is doing for the elderly who don't feel quite comfortable with the Internet as of yet, because the current monetary system is based on identity. And so all of these people have to do is open up an email that is, you know, coming from uh, Bank of America at Gmail dot com. Sure. Yes, and it tells them, oh, to secure your account, we need you to go ahead and click this link, dir, 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 and then and then they get hacked. Yeah. So it's it's not like the current system is that great for them either. Well, back to the marketing point, like so, I see stuff marketed all the time on like you know spending millions of dollars on mainstream television that I know 80% of America doesn't understand. Like when you see somebody like Accenture running a commercial on on the Fox News Channel. How many people do you think watching that have no idea what the heck an Accenture is? But I don't know what that is. Okay, it's a, it's the largest consulting firm in the world for for large scale business. They would be consultants to like the Fortune 1000. Okay. Um, so, but yet they're advertising there because they want mind share with because some portion of that group of audience cares about things like high-level consulting and right now are sitting in a boardroom making a decision about who they're going to retain next year. And that reinforces, if we go with Accenture, they might cost more, but they'll be here for us. So they'll make that investment because they're not worried about all the people that it doesn't play off of. They're worried about the ones that it does. Well, that seems to go along with uh, the old 80-20 principle, if it yeah. holds true. Yeah, Absolutely. So anyway, if somebody this 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 grandmother friendly version, I'm very intrigued by this. Exactly, you know, you said late 2017. When are we expecting this? And yes, so so that that is when the alpha version is slated for. And because so, so evolution will roll out later features in a gradual sort of process. The first thing to roll out is the usernames, replacing the cryptographic addresses. 
future things involve things like basically what what would be the equivalent of an interest-bearing account. Now, how is that possible? Well, the way that 10% of our block reward is available to be allocated to employ people, 45% goes to the miners and 45% goes to the master nodes. Now, a master node is as I had mentioned earlier, it's a staked it's a staked service node. And by staked, I mean that the person running the service node has locked has cryptographically locked a thousand dash. And that's why they have voting rights because they are significantly invested in dash. And something that our founder Evan Duffield uh figured out about a year ago in the portion or rather during the time he was further developing evolution specifications is well my goodness uh a thousand dash is already quite a lot of money in the future it will hopefully be worth even more in terms of purchasing power what if we could make it so that people can own shares in a master node to get a proportional payout of that particular master node's earnings of the block reward but they don't even need to know what's going on because from their end in the evolution wallet all it shows is it looks like a savings account it's probably even going to be called a savings account it's just an interest bearing account and and that's just this completely novel way to compete with the banking system to pay out higher rates of interest than the banking system all while not requiring your customer to have any knowledge of the technicalities going on behind the scene another planned feature for evolution and actually this may be in conjunction with the savings account utilizes something called the bitcoin covenant and because dash has a bitcoin code base we can utilize bitcoin covenants what i'm talking about has loosely been referred to as a vault account and this is this may be the account that protects us all from the true danger that lies from owning internet connected devices because hacking or hacking attempts rather are going to get more not less common as more and more people start to own cryptocurrency and so what a vault account can do is it can lock funds for a predetermined period let's say 24 hours so let's say that you messed up in your computer security someone got your evolution username and password and they attempted to move your funds out of your vault account what can happen or rather what would happen if it's programmed this way is though that that movement of funds can be reversed by you anytime within those first 24 hours after the attempted hack mm. and so it's these sorts of things where you know yes people like to lament you know that the internet was not made for people who don't know each other to be interacting with one another it wasn't made for for non-trusted entities to be able to interact with one another yes that's true but it's the internet that we have and there's no reason for us to believe that tools will not be developed that allow us to interact with one another safely online and for our monetary relations with one another to take place entirely online. Yeah, absolutely and I think that actually crypto is doing a lot to enable that to be more the case because the blockchain is a truth teller. 
Like you, you can look back and see what happened. Um, and, and you guys are trying to do that in a way that, well, I can also preserve anonymity, but yet I can also kind of have a snapshot in time of this is the way things were before this bad thing occurred, and we can have a restore point. We can go back to that point because this this hacker in, in Lithuania should not have my dash or, or what have you. Yeah, yeah, and it's and 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 gratefully or rather thankfully it does not require a blockchain rewind. It does not require any alteration of the data because any alteration of the data in my view and the view of many others makes a blockchain worthless. If you cannot trust every single bit of information on that ledger to be true and accurate, it is an absolutely worthless piece of shit. And so something like what we were talking about, like a vault account, makes it so that the hack doesn't happen. There's nothing to rewind. Okay, I got you. I understand. It's like it never occurred in the first place because it hasn't actually yet been confirmed because it's been locked up in this 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 holding space where it's not real until that time. To like, it's it's probably similar to what Coinbase provides and what they call a Bitcoin vault. So I, I think it is. Yeah. So I can like I. I just today, because I may be getting out of some Bitcoin, move some out of a vault that I have to wait 48 hours for it to come out. And it, so, I bet it's that same type of technology. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that But, makes sense. Yes. And it, and it will be so great when we don't all have to rely on keeping our coins on Coinbase, when we can just oh. use our Dash Evolution wallets and, and not have to hope that Coinbase doesn't close our account or freeze our funds or go offline. I mean, God bless them. They offer a great service. But it's not a long term. It's, it's not something that you're going to see should cryptocurrency indeed take off. Well, they're, they're subject to the whims of the state's lowercase and the state uppercase because they're trying to be, and I don't mean this in a way that makes them look good, but I mean this in a way that makes them, on how they're playing with government, the Boy Scout. Whatever they're told that they have to do, with some exceptions, like they didn't give, when they didn't give away everybody's private information, I was like, yeah, you guys go. But like when Wyoming says, we, we, you can't have our people open accounts with you anymore, they say okay. So... I don't sit here living in daily fear that you know my Coinbase account will get shut down, but also, unlike a lot of people, I pay attention to what my state government's doing. If, if I see a bill from the state of Texas that's proposed that would interfere with this, then I, you know, I, I'm going to get out of that position. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there are issues there. I mean, my biggest complaint with Coinbase is actually so when when everybody's screaming Bitcoin crashed again, I'm like, well, I'd like some now, and. Their their friggin' site never wants to work. You know, when it drops 500 bucks, like yeah, I'll buy a thousand bucks worth and maybe convert it to something else because it's a good time to do that. You know, it's hard to buy. It doesn't it doesn't work. Um, and I don't really understand why. I think there's conspiracy theories. I think there's just technical theories. And I think truth usually lies somewhere in the middle. But it'd be nice to see an ecosystem like Dash create something that is immune to all that. Because I think that, it, I mean, what? how would Wyoming say, oh, you can't have a Dash wallet? I just, I, I don't, I, I don't know that that's doable. Well, that's the whole premise of these networks, isn't it? The whole premise is that the only reason that there could even be a currency competition going on right now is because they are so difficult to shut down. That's their whole premise. In fact, that's the whole reason for there to be so much redundancy. Why on earth would you need 4,500 copies of a ledger on this planet? Wouldn't 
three, wouldn't a thousand suffice? Five hundred, three hundred. But no, the whole reason for the that, and these are expensive. Like I said, we paid our master, we pay our master nodes forty-five percent of our block reward. That's millions of dollars every month. That's millions of dollars of dash that we have to be selling in order just to break even.、Mm. And so it's expensive. To run a highly redundant volunteer-based network, and the only reason the expense is even worth it is to not be able to be shut down. Because it really is. It, it's it's like playing whack-a-mole, and you have two foot arms, and you have ten thousand foot of table with the whack-a-moles coming up. You 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 really can't do it. It's it's not possible because it's distributed. And I think what we're seeing, like, they, like to me, like the bigger move that's happening, and crypto is just part of this. And I see it in all different spaces, and that's why I think it's real because I see it in things that are technologically based, like cryptocurrency and other technologies. And I see it in things like people starting to grow food in their own backyard again. We're moving from centralized to decentralized. That that is the real paradigm shift that's going on. And when you have centralization, it has some advantages because you have a point of decision making, control, and governance, etc. But you also have a point of attack. Like if you think back to like your history classes, when when we had conventional warfare, one nation invaded another nation. What was their goal when we when we went into Nazi Germany? Where did we want to get to? Berlin, right? When when the when the British were were seeking to take the United States back in 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 the War of 1812, they wanted Washington D.C. You want that central authority. You take that central authority out, and now you can use that central authority to employ governance across the rest of what's left of it. You know, you might have a rebellion, but you've taken out that central power structure, and now you are that central power structure. And what I see people do, doing today is saying, well, "I'm going to make my own energy. I'm going to grow my own food. I'm going to see to my own money." And I think that is the mega trend that, that cryptocurrency is part of, and 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 I think thankfully enabling. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch, and and I agree with the parallels that you're drawing. It seems like the people who are interested in doing one form are quite often interested in another, and your podcast is an obvious testament to that. So, if people are like, you know, I want to be part of this, I want to own some Dash. What would you say the best way is for them to buy Dash today? It pretty much just depends on how you want to pay for it. Uh, if you already own any other cryptocurrency, that's the easiest way.、Uh, you can simply use an exchange. I think the fastest and easiest exchange to use is Shapeshift.io, and you simply go to Shapeshift.io, tell them what cryptocurrency you already have, and tell them that you want it to be turned into Dash, and there you go.、Uh, if you would like to buy with something like cash, like paper money. Uh, the best way to go about that is to visit a site called WallofCoins.com. That's W-A-L-L. WallofCoins.com、uh, is a is a buyer and seller matching service in which you enter your zip code, and it tells you within a ten twenty mile radius which bank branches near you have an account holder who is selling Dash. Once you choose the bank branch that's most convenient to you, the seller is notified to put his dash into escrow on the website. 
you then just go make a cash deposit at that bank branch just by filling out a cash deposit slip. I've done this before uh, using that person's account number and then take a picture of the receipt that you get. And then the dash is released to you from the escrow. And finally, if you if you're the type of person who wants to use uh, a a like a bank wire or a credit card or a debit card, uh, that is currently the most difficult way to get dash in that the sellers are they, they have they have high premiums right now and some of them have kind of low buy limits um but certainly they do exist and you can find them oh good heavens uh if you go to the dash.org website and you click i believe there's a button right on the screen that says buy dash or get dash it will take you to a list of people who sell for for bank wires and credit cards as well Absolutely awesome. I, I like the uh, the uh, the wall of coins idea because I was just reading a story about somebody that was basically like hijacked for their Bitcoin. They said the local Bitcoins or whatever or from a Facebook group and they went to meet him. And then the guy sticks a gun in his face and says, transfer it to this address. I'm going to shoot you. So that, that like completely eliminates that possibility. Yeah, that that's that's scary stuff. I mean, I've also met up in person to do cryptocurrency trades, but like you said earlier, Jack, I mean, the best way to meet up is in a very public place. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, you want to tell people real quick about your YouTube channel? Yeah, I sure hope you visit it. Uh, I love the, I, or rather, I appreciate the plug that you gave my series Dash School. Uh, I made that series with my mother in mind. And uh, you can find all of my other videos if you just uh, type in Dash Digital Cash in a YouTube search bar. We should be the first thing that comes up. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, you know, I really appreciate you being with us today. And uh, I, I definitely welcome you to come back on the show uh, at any time in the future where you maybe want to give us an update on what's going on in the Dash universe. Uh, just fill out the form. We'll have Dorothy get you booked for another episode of the show. Well, I will do that, Jack. Thanks for the invitation. All right. Well, I, I really appreciate you being with us today, and uh, I hope you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right. Great interview, great person, good information, and I, I want to really stress how much I think it would make sense for you to subscribe to um, their YouTube channel. And really, if you watch nothing else on YouTube this week, Check out the Dash School playlist from Amanda. I will have a link directly to that playlist in the show notes for you. It will be the best education on blockchain chain technology you can get. And I'll tell you that in listening to it, I didn't learn a tremendous amount that I didn't know. But I feel like because of it, I'm going to be much better at explaining it to people that don't know. Because it's hard to explain things that you understand that are complex If you understand them because, well, I have past information that makes me understand this complex idea, and I didn't really have to start from the beginning with it. And so I'm not sure how to break it back down. So I guess what I'm saying is she's an expert in this, and I'm not. right? I, you can understand that at a high level and not be an expert. When you really have expertise in a subject, it's when you can explain that subject, and the everyday person can understand it even if it's complex. That's the way I try to teach here, and when I need like more horsepower, I bring guests in like Amanda. Great job by her today, and uh, great stuff on the, uh, the Dash uh, Org YouTube channel. Subscribe to it and set up so you get alerts when new stuff comes out. 
Uh, I think Dash is definitely one of the cryptocurrencies we need to be taking a look at and considering for our long-term planning uh, in, in this new digital economy. All right. With that, if you like this show and you want to support the work we do, go buy like 10 Dash tokens right now and send them all to uh, address. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, a real easy way that you can help support the work that we do is uh, you can uh, you can simply do your online shopping through tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. Go to tspaz.com, and uh, you can click from there. You can see like the Amazon deals of the day, and you can see the items on Amazon that I review. And uh, one of the items that I've reviewed in the past that I brought back today is made is, is by a, a company called Zycomb, and it's a set of four basting brushes. Not very survivally, I know, but I believe in better living through lifestyle design, and that also means cooking. And if you're going to cook long enough, sooner or later you're going to want to take a brush and dip it in something and, and paint it, like a paintbrush, like it's called basting. Right, whether and that's whether you're a baker, you might be doing a butter on top of bread, which I don't do a lot of bread, but you know you might do that. Or if you're like a person that grills a lot, then you might want to go out and put something on the wonderful meat that you've put on your grill. And I decided since I was going to give you such a mundane thing like these uh, Zycom basting brushes, you get four of them by the way, uh, for like six, seven bucks, I think it is. You're like, okay, that's not really exciting. So how can I make this exciting? I'm going to give you my go-to baste. For things like chicken and quail and stuff like that, lighter fare. It's good on pork too, um, especially not like maybe ribs or something, but you know, like uh, pork chops or something like that. So here's what you need to make this, and you can adjust the recipe up if you need more. Three tablespoons of soy sauce, one tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce, two t tablespoons of hot sauce. I happen to like a brand called Cholula. Uh, five tablespoons of jalapeno infused olive oil. You can either buy that or you can make your own. It's up to you. Five tablespoons of white wine and one tablespoon of mustard, plain yellow for this. Now, let's say you don't have jalapeno-infused olive oil and you don't really have time to make any. What could you do? Well, you could take some dehydrated jalapeno and throw it in there. Or you could use some red pepper flake if you just need some kind of instant heat to go along and, and get a little bit more peppery beyond the hot sauce, okay? Now, why are we using mustard? Because we like mustard? Not necessarily. In fact, I have Chef Keith Snow working on a thing about how we can do what I'm going to tell you about today with something other than mustard for Friday, hopefully. But mustard is what's called an emulsifier. Now, if you've ever put water and oil or vinegar and oil or any liquid and oil in a jar together and shaken it up to mix it, and you set it down, it doesn't take very long before what happens. They separate. How may I ask you, in all of these marinades... Okay, and all of these basting sauces that people put out, all these so-called cooks put out, if the stuff separates, how the hell does it make a good marinade or a baste? How the hell can you actually have a uniform, even marinade or baste or sauce with oil without an emulsifier? The answer is, you can't. You can't do it. It can't be done. It may taste okay, but it's not going to be right because it's divided in half. It self-divides, and some oil here, and some vinegar here, or some oil here, and some wine there. You got it, right? So when you have something called an emulsifier, what that does is it creates an emulsion. Okay? So we take the oil and the wine and all the other wet ingredients, and we add something like mustard, which again is an emulsifier. What we're going to do with it, put it in a what I usually do with it anyway, I put it in a ball jar just a, a, you know, a jar, a, a canning jar, 
put a lid on it, nice and tight, and shake it up. Shake the hell out of it. Set it down and leave it sit there for a couple seconds. Eh, a couple minutes. Look at it. Has it separated? If it has separated, you can try shaking it again. But if it looks like all the mustard dissolved, add a little squirt more mustard in it and do it again. Eventually, it will all stay together. And now you can use it as a marinade or, in this case, a baste. This makes a damn good marinade, too, by the way. Make a double batch, reserve like a third of it for a baste, and then marinate chicken. It. Oh, man. All right, so this stuff's great. The recipe you don't have to write down. It's in the review today. Go to tspaz.com. You can find it. Just go to survivalpodcast.com and start scrolling for the latest review from tspaz, and you'll see it there. Um, but these little Zycom brushes, why do I recommend them? Is it because they're cheap? Well, they are cheap in price, but they are not cheap in quality. They're $7.95 with free shipping for a set of four. The reason I recommend them is because I've had many basting brushes in my life, and they all sucked until I found these. Here's why. They all have basically a rubber-type thingy that's attached to some kind of metal or plastic, and eventually, because of heat and changing of size and all, the brush falls off of the handle or the bristles fall out of the brush, or the brush comes apart and the head of the, the, the rubbery brush thing falls through your grill, into your coals, and black toxic smoke comes up and, and you know goes into your lungs and into your food. These are solid molded. That means that the bristles are solid molded pieces straight into the handle. So they do not come apart, the bristles do not come off, and they do not break. Now, one thing I want to say about things like Zycom and all, they're very heat-resistant, but if you have a scorching-hot 500-degree grill and you you paint your grill surface with one, yeah, it'll screw it up and melt it. So the one-star reviews that are here and there on these, yeah, that's what stupid people have done with these. I don't understand. No, you don't understand because you're, come on, guys, say it. You know it's politically incorrect, but you know you want to say it. You're retarded. Yes, these are retarded reviewers. But overall, 118 customer reviews, 4.5 stars. One of the top 50 items sold last year uh, on Survival Podcast, so I'm bringing it back around this year. And it's just an example of what I bring to you. I kind of have like a bonus item. I didn't make it an item of the day, but I do have it in the show notes, and you might want to check it out. I have been in love, because you guys know I love to grill. You know I love to grill. I've been in love with the idea of buying a Weber uh, Genesis E410 for a long time. This is an expensive grill, eight nine hundred bucks. But this is like restaurant quality, freaking badass. Like not top of the line for Rhett Weber, but like one rung under, like the stuff that only like people with stupid money buy. Okay. Um, and I've been thinking about it for a long time, and I, I, I happen to check uh, Amazon today to see well what are they selling for. And I don't know if I'm going to do because I'm also buying a boat. I'm buying a used boat today. Finally, I'm going to pull the trigger on it. In fact, as soon as I'm done with the show today, I'm heading to Louisville to get my boat. Um, so I'm probably not going to do this right now, but I was tempted, and here's why. $8.99 is a standard sale price on this grill. Awesome. That's fine. They sell it at Lowe's, Home Depot, Amazon. You know how it is today. Everybody has the same price unless something goes on sale. Sometimes something's done differently, though, to create a sale. Right now, and I don't know for how long, but right now Amazon is selling that grill, the Weber Genesis E410, and you can get free professional assembly. The way it works, they ship the grill in a box to your house, and they send you a contact, and you contact your local provider and tell them the grill you bought and set up a date and time. They come to your house, and they put it together for you. Now, I know a lot of you are like, I can put a grill together. Yeah, I can put a grill together, too. This is a big, complex grill with a lot of moving parts, and that's like an hour or two or three that I could be doing something more productive. 
than put a grill together? Because it's free. Normally it's a hundred bucks, but it's free. Like, why wouldn't you do it? That's that's what I would say. Why wouldn't you? Now, what made me like go? Eh, I'll, I'll still think about it, whether I'm going to do it or not. When I'm buying this boat, uh, and it's just a, you know an outlay of money, and like, do I need to spend another thousand bucks? Almost, I don't know um, that type of thing. Um, but the other one is when they when they first introduced this on Amazon. The guy that came and assembled your grill, he took all the crap away. He took all the packaging and all away. They apparently they don't do that anymore. Because that's what I was excited you know, private uh, uh, waste disposal and all. That's what I was excited about. It's getting rid of the giant box and all the styrofoam and all that. So they don't do that anymore. So I, I don't know now what I'm going to do. But I thought for some of you, it might be, if you've been eyeballing that beautiful grill like I have, it might be the time. Anyway, just a little bonus item of the day from Amazon. And if you do check it out, you know, make sure you go through my links or what have you. Uh, that helps support the show. Anyway, so with that, I want to talk about our song of the day today. We have a song by uh, Pat Benatar from 1988, which I'm, I still have a hard time thinking of 1988 as a long time ago, right? But I think like, okay, so in, in 1988, when somebody said 1968 to me, that seemed like a real long time ago, but 1988 is a lot longer ago from 2017 Than 68 was from 88. You see, you see where I'm going with all this, right? So, like, I still think like the new music from like the 80s and the early 90s is not being old, and I guess I'm an old fart now. Um, but this was a song I, I didn't remember really well when I heard it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I remember that song, but you know, like, it's not a song that's really in my head. But when I, I listen to the words of the song, it's pretty awesome. It's really about finding that that point in your life where everything just clicks and you can make things work. And it's about needing to be fired up to get there. So I, I pulled up the song facts on All Fired Up and found out this was not Pat Benatar's song. It was basically a slightly rewritten cover. Here's the facts on this song. This was written and originally recorded by the Australian band Rattling Sabres. Kelly Karen Tor Tolhorst, who was the band's guitarist, told us how this song came together. I was in Melbourne, Australia in 1988. I had a band called Rattling Sabres. I brought myself a new amp, a vintage Marshall combo, and when I got it home, I plugged in my beloved Gretsch Nashville, and out came this riff and chord progression. I had some lyrics kicking around with the working title of Working Against the Clock. They fit perfectly. It stayed that way for a few weeks, but I felt there was more to be done with the song. One day, sitting in traffic, it came to me when I inserted All Fired Up into the chorus. It all came together. The band then recorded the song and came out as a single on the Mighty Boy label. On a trip to L.A., someone from Mighty Boy was playing the song to an A&R person at Chris, Crystallis Records when Pat Benatar's manager happened to pass by. She needed a single for her new album, and after changing some lyrics to shoot, suit her female point of view, record, it was recorded and released. I still like my original version better. Uh, Karen Tolhorst uh, says who was a member of the band and uh, was also a member of a band called The Dingoes and a band called Country Radio, notable songwriter and session musician. So that's kind of cool, right? They, they wrote that song and she changed it a little bit and she's the one that ended up with the famous version of it. And of course, Karen likes his version better. I think when you listen to covers, I think usually whichever version you heard first, if you liked it, you like better. I think it tends to be that way. And it doesn't matter if it was the original or the later version. Anyway, I want you guys fired up in your lives. So great song choice from John Adam yet again. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. 